Thank you for joining Crossroads Community Church today. We're so excited about what God's doing in the lives of the people of our church and the lives of those who are listening online. If you have any questions or want more information about our church, visit our website at www.crossroadsccl.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now let's jump into the Word with this week's message. All right, well, we're on a series called One Another, going through many of the one another's of the Bible. And we're going to talk today about accepting one another, not judging one another, as it says in Romans chapter 14, in the midst of disagreements. How many of you right now have somebody you are in a disagreement with? How many of you right now have a strained relationship over somebody you've had a disagreement with? That probably includes all of us or most of us, doesn't it? And the thing that we're going to see today within Scripture is that in the midst of a disagreement, the who needs to become bigger than the what. The who you are disagreeing with needs to become a much bigger deal than the what you are disagreeing over. And that's a tough issue. But Paul in Romans 14 is going to lay that out in spades. And so when you look at church and you look at unity in our church and our family and our workplace and our friendships, it is so vital because when you have unity, unity is a multiplier of spiritual power and effectiveness. That's why Jesus prayed on the night before he died that they would be one, his disciples would be one as he and the Father were one. The unity that is in the Trinity would be reflective of the unity that is in the body of Christ. That's a powerful thought, isn't it? That the unity that we have amongst one another would reflect, would be a part of the unity that exists in eternity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In fact, that more than anything is going to set us apart from the world is the level of love and unity we have from one another. In the first five chapters of the book of Acts, it says ten times that they were in one accord, they were unified. And the power of the gospel multiplied because of the unity they had with one another. But disagreements, issues, problems are inevitably in any group, in any family, in any workplace, in any church, are bound to come in and start to fracture and to tear apart that that unity. And typically when these things come, they come in small ways. They're not like these really big or massive issues. There's kind of these small issues that, that kind of get in the way. Think about your marriage. Most of the big conflicts that you have, they're not like over these big, huge issues. What do they happen over? The temperature in the room, okay? The way you put the toilet paper, the direction on the toilet paper roll. Maybe how tightly you tuck the the sheets in underneath the bed. I mean, you know, and you disagree on that and then things explode. And in the church, it's the same way. It's not typically the big issues. We don't argue over how we formulate the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, Rather, we argue maybe the color of the new carpet. 
we don't argue about the importance of serving and taking communion, but maybe we argue over the specific ways it's being served. Heard of one church where this big conflict occurred over who had the authority to purchase the postage stamps. Somebody said they were really licking their wounds after that one. And here's the deal. So we're going to see in Romans 14, it's those small issues that build up over time that cause the biggest levels of conflict. And when you and I have disagreements with each other in whatever realm, whatever sphere of influence we're in, the big deal within Scripture, and Paul is going to make so clear as we look in Romans 14, is that the who we disagree with needs to become a lot bigger than the what we're disagreeing over. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans 14 as Paul lays this out in spades. If you've got your phone, go ahead and click on your your Bible app. And if you don't have either of those, we're going to have the scriptures by way of the screen. So we talk about how to deal with, with disagreements. Now we've been in Romans for the last three weeks together. And next time I preach, we're going to go to the book of Ephesians and deal with the issue of anger But we're in Romans 14 right now, Romans. And when you come to chapter 14, there's a rift that's occurring within the church of Rome. It's a rift, obviously, between a group of Jews who have come to faith, who have embraced Jesus as the Messiah, and a group of those who are Gentiles, Romans, who have come to faith. And they bring to the place, they bring to this kind of Issues, different backgrounds, traditions, presuppositions, biases that begin to well up into something that could potentially split the church apart. You come to verse 1 and 2, and it gives us a couple of clues as to what this is. Verses 1 and 2. Paul writes this. He says, "...except the one whose faith is weak..." without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Now before we go into what this dispute is over, I want us to look at this word here, except. Because that's a very important word. Except here in the Greek literally means that we receive someone into our heart. That when we disagree with somebody that we love, that we're walking in relationship with, especially someone who is a brother or sister in Jesus Christ, that we still, in the midst of the disagreement, we accept them, we receive them into our heart. It is not sufficient enough biblically that we say, let's agree to disagree, and then we don't speak to each other again. Let's agree to disagree, but then we avoid each other. Whenever there are disagreements, and it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, the Bible is clear that those disagreements should become the opportunities where there is greater understanding, where there is greater maturing, where there is a greater unity and strengthening of a relationship that is built. So what's the first issue? Well, Paul says 
Let accept one another's faith without quarreling over, notice this, disputable matters. You might want to highlight that, disputable matters. Many of your translations may use the word over opinions, over opinions. And as I've said before, the issues that we disagree with tend to be over disputable matters, opinions, issues that aren't really big. And so what Paul is dealing with here is stuff where it involves human concerns and not God's kingdoms. Kingdom. Human concerns over the temporary and not God's plan for eternity. They're small, they're opinions, they're disputable matters. The second is he says that those who are weak in faith need to be accepted by those who are strong. Now, what does this mean to be strong and weak in this respect? Paul is talking about a matter of conscience. I remember when I was dating Brenda, and I, I did not grow up in, per se, a church or Christian home. And, and Brenda grew up, her dad was a pastor. So we came from very different backgrounds of understanding. We, we were dating, and someone Friday evening or something, and said, what, do you, what would you like to do? And I, I threw out that idea. I said, well, Brenda, how about we play some poker? And she grew up in a very church home. And when I said, Brenda, let's play some poker, it was like I was asking her to rob a bank. You know, because in her mind, when you play poker, that's a, that's a sinful thing to do because it's associated with gambling. And for me, you know, I just put some pennies or some paper clips on the table, you know, not a huge, you know, better. I taught her how to play poker. I regret doing that because the last three times we played, she beat me. So, but she has this conscience over that issue because of a background, experiences. And so there's issues where we disagree with one another that they're not really eternal biblical matters, but they're issues of our upbringing, our experience. For some people, they might have an issue with lust. So because of that, they don't go to the beach where somebody else can. For some, there may be an addiction to a particular sport or athletic event. And so they give up golfing or for another person. That's something they do two, three times a week like my, my stepdad does. For some, they might struggle with gossiping. It might be a particular sin that they're tempted to. And because of that, they don't go to the teacher's lounge. For some, they might struggle with alcohol. Because of that, they avoid occasions where social drinking takes place. It's personal at that point on how you apply the Scriptures or your own conscience. Now let's go a little bit deeper as to what's going on here with, with the church in Rome. Verse 3. Paul says, The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. 
One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and give thanks to God. Now, what is the issue here? We, we don't fully know, to be honest. It's something involving food. It's something involved with particularities that people from a Jewish background had as opposed to those who had a Gentile or non-Jewish background. But imagine it could be something like this. Some people at the church at Rome were wanting to have a potluck dinner, and they formed a group to plan the potluck dinner. And there was some Gentiles and there were some Jews who were on this group. And a Gentile, the leader or one of the key spokesperson, let's call him Antiochus, he said, let's have a potluck at the end of the month. But then the spokesperson for the Jewish side, who call him Abraham, says, no, we can't because that is the Passover week and we're not going to have potlucks during that particular time. And Antiochus says, okay, no big deal. Let's have another time. You choose the date. And so Abraham says, well, we'll go with this date. And then Antiochus says, okay, that's great. I'll bring the pork. I'll bring the pig. And to that, Abraham says, no way. We can't allow that. And Antiochus says, but we're no longer under the old law. We're no longer bound by the Old Testament restrictions. But Abraham says, but to us, it is still very important. And so this kind of dispute breaks out. And this is over an issue of opinion. It's over an issue of preference. It's over an issue of what people prefer rather than what God has clearly stated. And if this disagreement is not dealt with, what happens? It rolls into dissension. And as it rolls into dissension, it rolls into division. And because of that, with these strong opinions and strong leaders, you have the potential of one church dividing into two. And this is the type of scenario that Paul is dealing with. Now, interestingly enough, Paul does not step in and say, you are wrong and you are right. He doesn't come in with a heavy hand. He doesn't overlead and say, here is how you are going to choose or decide on this issue. Rather, what he does is he uses it as a discipling opportunity. And he gives them two key principles about how to deal with disagreements that occur within relationships. So if you're in a note-writing mood, let me give you the first principle that Paul gives. And it is this. Unity is a matter of lordship. Unity is a matter of lordship. The first thing we have to be very clear is that within the body of Christ, within the church of Jesus Christ, there are backbone issues. There are central issues. There are issues which one person has said, we must have a closed fist. There are issues that we cannot disagree over. There are issues that we cannot compromise on because to do those 
would be to give up our identity as being the church of Jesus Christ under his lordship. And the very first thing we have to understand is that unity first and foremost is not a matter of making everybody happy, but it is a matter of walking in obedience to what God has gifted to us through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Verse 7, Paul says, For none of us lives for ourselves alone. None of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Paul says Jesus is Lord. And that is the very first principle of unity. Over 700 times in the New Testament, Jesus is called Lord. The most basic confession of the early church is that Jesus is Lord. And that means that the who of Jesus Christ must become bigger than the what it is that we are disagreeing with. His lordship has to become much bigger. This is huge. Unity is not something we as a church create. We cannot form a committee on how to become more unified. Because our unity is in our obedience to Jesus Christ. Unity is not something we create. It is something we submit to. Sometimes people ask me, Pastor, how do you work to make everybody happy in the church? What do you do to make everybody happy in the church? And my simple answer is, I don't, (laughs) because that's an impossibility. My job as pastor is to make one person happy. And if I make Jesus Christ happy, then that should be good enough for the rest of us, shouldn't it? And so unity is something we submit to. And each of us has an individual responsibility to do that. And the thing is, is that in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, Jude verse 3 says that we have a faith that has been passed on once and for all, for all Christians at all times. And if you look at all the Bible-believing churches across the world, the interesting thing is is that we agree on about 90% of the truths of the Christian faith, the essential stuff. It's the stuff that has been passed down once and for all. Sometimes we highlight what we disagree on, but the amazing thing is, is the number of things in which we do agree upon. So let me go through some non-negotiables for us. And I think we have these by way of the screen. Number one is the Bible. The Bible is the inspired, authoritative Word of God. It is the standard. It is the rule of our faith and practice in both what we believe and how we behave. This is what we are as Christians, and this is not up for negotiation. We believe in the Trinity. That God is one God existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
None are created. They have existed from eternity, equal in glory and equal in majesty, though different in roles and functionality within God's saving plan. We believe in the Son of God, that Jesus is completely God, and that he's fully human when he came in the form of Jesus Christ. We believe in his full deity. We believe in his full humanity, combining both natures into one. We believe in the atonement that Jesus Christ died on the cross, and that is the sole means for our forgiveness of sins. We believe in the salvation is by faith through grace, that we receive it as a gift of God, and we do so by surrendering in faith and belief to what God has revealed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We believe in regeneration that every person must be born again. You must receive the Holy Spirit into your life to be born again, to be made a new person. We believe in sanctification, that the faith that saved you is also the faith that leads you in your forward journey. And that if you are a Christian, you will continue on in a path of growth in your journey to follow Jesus. We believe in the church of Jesus Christ, that the church is God's means, it is God's community and God's avenue to preserve, to uphold, and to send out the gospel throughout the world. We believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ, that just as Christ came physically and literally to the planet earth the first time, so he will come back a second time to establish his kingdom more fully. We believe in eternity, that there is a heaven for those who have embraced the grace that God has given them through Jesus Christ. And for those who reject God, there is an eternity in hell that is separate from God. This is the faith that has been passed down once and for all. and is not open to negotiation, cannot be, in, cannot be compromised. And if on any of these you disagree... We're willing to talk with you, reason with you, be patient with you, persuade you, have a conversation with you, pray with you, but we are not willing to compromise on these. Because should we do that, we are giving up the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the truth of Christianity. Can anybody say amen to that? But the Lordship of Jesus Christ also... Guides the way that we deal with this agreement. Look what Paul goes on to say in verse 10. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow before me, every tongue confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. You see, folks, when the what we disagree with becomes bigger than the who we are disagreeing with, what happens is that we begin to start judging our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul says when we start to go in that direction, that's when disagreement becomes toxic and it becomes sinful. And we don't have the right or the authority to be at the place of doing that. For example, it comes to that place when we start looking at somebody we disagree with and we say, you know what? They just can't get along with other people. You know, they're an only child. That's the way they are that way. And we're judging somebody at that point. 
Uh, we, they won't take that new initiative that we're, we're, they're always stuck into the past. They're always a traditional, they're always stuck in the mud. And when we start making those judgments about people like that, rather than just focusing on the issues, Paul says we're going too far. Because God is the only one who has the purity, the insight, and the knowledge to make those kind of judgments. And so under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, it sets what we believe, but it also limits the judgments that we make about others. So this leads to the second principle. Unity is a matter of liberty. Unity is a matter of liberty. There are other things within the body of Christ that can be called cosmetic. They're surface issues. And rather than having a closed hand, we can have an open hand. There are things that we may feel strongly about. We may be very passionate about. But others don't have to feel the same way or be as strong as we do on those issues. In other words, we do not have to be twins to be brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. We don't have to be in exact agreement. And so Paul goes on in verse 13, he says this, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. In other words, don't take the small issues and make them big issues that are causing people to trip or struggle in their faith. And so to those who are strong, And to those who are weak on a particular issue of conscience, Paul says in verse 14, As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards it as unclean, for him it is unclean. In other words, if you've got a weak conscience in that area, and you feel that for you it is sinful, then for you it is sinful, and we'll respect that. It goes on in verse 16. Verse 14, and to the one who is in the Lord Jesus Christ, or verse 16 rather, do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. In other words, if something for you that's unclean for this person or sinful for this person is not for you and the Bible is not clear on it, then for you it is okay and you can agree to disagree. Now one of the ways I've seen that we have made divisions in the body of Christ, where we should not make divisions in the body of Christ, is where we make boundary markers around secondary issues, and we put them up as primary importance. Sometimes it can happen within membership covenants that people make. Sometimes it's kind of ways that you have to be a part of something in order to agree to particular things that aren't essentially biblical. Sometimes within churches, there's been kind of that past tradition that says, okay, if you really want to be strong within us, you don't drink or smoke or chew or grow with girls who do. And if you hold that line, you're really good in our church. But then somebody can have an attitude of arrogance, criticism, and judgmentalness. And even though they're very sinful in those areas, because they meet those boundary markers that we have set up as more important, they're okay, even though they're causing greater problems within the body of Christ. And Paul said the Pharisees did that. By your traditions, the things, the applications you have made from the law, you have elevated them to the same importance of the law, and therefore you have nullified the power 
of God's word. Let me talk about a couple of ways I've seen that happen in my own ministry or ways that started to see that happen. Was several years ago I was preaching on the temptations or the problems of being in debt. And I was reading a book by Dave Ramsey before he became a a national figure and, and came to such a place of prominence. I was reading one of his books and it was extremely persuasive to me. And I remember in talking about the bondage of debt and the borrower being a slave to the lender, I went to the place of basically making the application that you should get rid of your credit cards. I began kind of doing one of these Dave Ramsey things, you know, without being Dave Ramsey. And that wasn't good. Because as I'm talking about the issue of debt and the borrower being a slave to the lender and saying you shouldn't have credit cards, I was brought to a, ta- I was brought to a challenge on that. Because nowhere in the Bible does it say you should not have credit cards. I'm not a financial expert. I'm not Dave Ramsey. And as a pastor, I don't have the authority to tell people they should not have credit cards. Maybe I could say because it's such a temptation or a problem, it's something you want to get rid of. But I don't have the authority to take a personal application that somebody may be using to protect themselves in the issues of debt and making it something that everybody should apply. Because where the scripture stops, I should stop. Where the scripture speaks, I should speak. Another issue is this. Back several years ago, there was a book that was very popular called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Anybody ever read that or heard that book? It was a book about moving away from the dating structure and the American system to courtship. And using that as an alternative means for, for kids or for young people to, to connect, you know, for a future marriage. And so we had some parents who had read that book who were, in our, who were parents of kids in our youth group. And they came to the youth pastor and said that we believe in this book and its principles so strongly. We think that we as a church should advocate the principles and the process of courtship over dating. The youth pastor brought that to me, and I said, we can't do that because the Bible doesn't teach about courtship. That is an application that some people get from certain principles of Scripture. It's an application, but it is not necessarily taught within the Bible itself. Ironically, the guy who wrote that book now has claimed that a lot of the advice that he gave in the book was not good advice anyway. So I'm glad we didn't take that and say, this is what we're going to do as a church. In other words, if the Bible is not clear on it, we too are not going to say there's clarity where there is not. Here's some issues where Christians can agree to disagree and even learn from one another. One issue I've heard a lot about is how you as parents educate your children homeschooling, private schooling, public schooling, politics, a particular political slant or interest, social drinking, whether moms of younger children should stay home or work in the workplace, clothes that you wear in Sunday service. I know that since I've come here at Crossroads, my clothing style has been downgraded, okay? So I can fit in. We're more of a relaxed group. 
Some people I know have talked to me and say, I don't know if coffee should be served on Sunday morning here at Crossroads. And I want you to know that I'm a pro-coffee drinking in the sanctuary kind of pastor. Anything that will help keep you awake during the sermon, I am for it, okay? But there's differences of opinions. Some people, Halloween, whether they should have their children or whether they should serve treats during Halloween. One issue that's come up today is organic versus processed foods. And to all of that, we can agree to disagree. Look at verse 17, what Paul says. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Someone has said this, has written this, Believe as I believe, no more, no less, that I am right and no one else confess. Feel as I feel and think as I think. Eat what I eat and drink what I drink. Look only as I look and do always as I do, for then and only then I'll fellowship with you. That's not the attitude we want. St. Augustine said this, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, but in all things, charity. And that's what Paul is saying in Romans 14. Well, let's tie a bow on this. What do we do? How do we process? How do we work through those areas in which we find disagreement? How do we make the who bigger than the what? Number one is this, in disagreement, be committed to growth. In disagreement, be committed to growth. Verse 19, Paul says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. The stakes are high. And sometimes those small issues come up. We have strong feelings and strong opinions, and the Scriptures are not very clear on those issues. At those times, we need to make every effort. In the Greek here, the tense would literally read like this, and it's hard to translate it into English. It means make every effort, keep on making every effort, and never stop making efforts, which are going to bring unity and lead to peace in the body of Christ. In other words, we don't look and say, hey, we've got unity, and then walk away and say, now it's a done issue. Because there's always going to be issues creeping up. There's always going to be disagreements. There's always going to be attitudes that we have to deal with that are cropping up as we're growing as a body, more into the image and the likeness of Christ. And so it's like a garden that's always having to be weeded. You're having to constantly tend to it so that it stays healthy and continues to grow. And in the midst of agreement, disagreement, our attitude is this, that the who needs to become bigger than the what. That in the midst of the disagreement, you and I, as we disagree, are going to commit to a process where we understand, where we grow, where we learn, where we have a greater level of unity than we had before the disagreement. There's four ways that you can approach a disagreement. I've got this by way of your notes. One way is this. It's the wrong way. It's 
way that says no way. Disagreement occurs, no way. People withdraw, we're not going to deal with it, we're not going to talk about it. We just want to kind of put our heads into the sand. But the problem is, is that that disagreement is still there and it's going to continue to influence relationships and influence the body of Christ. So that's not a way to deal with disagreement. Another way is my way. I'm going to determine that I'm going to be right on this. I'm going to get my way. I'm going to be the winner in every disagreement. And that's not going to be very effective. Another way is your way. person says, I'll be the martyr and I'll yield to others. They take out what could be called my fault insurance. I'm going to be the one who will, I'm going to be the one who will lay down on the ground. I'll be the one who will let people walk over me. I'll be the one who just simply compromises to make others happy. And though it appears to be noble and humble, it usually masks a cowardness and a lack of faith and hope of how God can bring us to a greater level of understanding. But the biblical way is, is our way. Our way. And that is in the midst of a disagreement, we will look to God that he will be honored, that he will be glorified, and that you and I will commit to a process where we will seek to understand and love each other more. And so that the who becomes bigger than the what. And so in the process of disagreeing, you and I will come to a greater level of faith and unity in the Lordship of Jesus Christ And we'll be a part of even a patient process, even something that may take several weeks or several months so that we come to a higher level of maturity. Number two, in disagreement, be tolerant of differences. In disagreement, be tolerant of differences. Verse 20, it says, Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but... It is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Paul says privately there are issues where you have complete freedom and in doing them you will not sin. But publicly... Because of the conscience, because of the sensitivity of somebody else, you could cause them spiritual harm. Privately, you are safe between you and God, but publicly, Paul says, be sensitive and don't make those issues a big deal. Don't continue to trigger a response. Don't continue to have to prove that you are right, but keep those issues between yourself and God because what you want to do is to make the who bigger than the what. The person is more important than the problem over, your, over which you're disagreeing with. Well, I want to ask the worship team to come forward and the prayer team and those serving communion this morning. And as we prepare to take communion this morning, I want us to read from Romans chapter 15, verses 1 to 3. And if we could have that by way of the screen... Paul will go on and he'll talk about dealing with disagreements. And in verses 1 to 3, Paul centers this again on Jesus Christ and his death upon the cross. 
And starting in verse 1, let's read that together. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. This morning as we take communion, we remember Jesus, whose body was broken. And on the night he was betrayed, he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Whenever you take it, do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Whenever you take it, do it in remembrance of me. And Jesus Christ, if you think of a wheel, he is the hub. And we are the spokes. And the closer we get to him and what he did on the cross, the closer we get to one another. And maybe there's an issue in which you're dealing with a struggle, a disagreement. And maybe your prayer needs to be this morning that the who becomes bigger than the what. The person who you have the disagreement needs to become bigger than that that issue is. And that Jesus did not die for that disagreement, but he died for the person who you're disagreeing with. And that person is more important. And so as you take communion this morning, We invite you as you're ready, as you search your heart, as you humble yourself before the Lord. We have people in each corner of the room ready to serve the elements. They're gluten-free. We also, as a church, practice open communion, which means that you don't have to be a member, a regular tender here to take communion. You just need to have faith and a surrendered heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we also have people toward the front who's willing to pray with you, there's a prayer need, a prayer issue you have. So as so we come to communion this morning, let's search our hearts and realize that it's God who has made the who bigger than the what.